So Mickey, uh, just reiterate what you were saying about how your content consumption behavior has changed uh, in light of COVID. Sure. Uh, it's dropped, I would say, pretty dramatically uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, first, uh, most of my content consumption is based on my travel, which used to be a lot and now is non-existent. So, you know, not being in a car on the way to an airport, in the air, in a vehicle on the way from an airport to a campus or to, or to a hotel or somewhere, I'm not in the same places um, where I would be to normally grab content, whether that's a podcast or um, could be a video or even a blog at that point. It's just down. And I would say the second reason it's down is because work you know, right now we're at a pretty stressful period in our work, uh, even in consultants. You know, a lot of times when consultants are brought in, not a lot of times, at least sometimes they're brought in maybe when there's a problem. Enrollment isn't where it needs to be. And we have to work quickly to help an institution get back, which we do. And we've got several of those going right now. And, you know, that's just stressful. And so when I'm not working, I do not want professional content to be absorbed. I want to get away from that and get into a shift. So my content that I am absorbing now is all personal. So it, it could be streaming something with the family or just with my wife. It could be, I've spent a lot of time during COVID on YouTube. Uh, we've talked a lot about RVing and I watch a lot of RV based videos with the family. We like to go fishing this summer and we've been doing that a lot more and I've watched more to improve our ability to have a good time fishing and catch fish. And that's, Probably 80% of my content now is that, um, where before it may have been 30%, maybe 40% of my content. So it's just dropped. Um, you know, what, what I'm absorbing has changed, and the amount I have um, uh, content I've absorbed is dramatically less. Well, folks, welcome to Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. Our goal each week is to discuss the traits, strategies, and tactics that separate the best teams from the rest of the pack. And we wanted to just kick it off, uh, kick off this week's episode with that conversation uh, about content consumption because Mickey and I were talking before we hit record just about how our our behaviors have changed in terms of not just the the way in which we're consuming content, but the amount of content that we're consuming. And so thought that some of you guys might be able to resonate with that as well. Uh, we'd love to just hear sort of how your content consumption habits have or, or haven't changed. Uh, we'd welcome you to, to contact either of us to just kind of share whether or not podcast streaming is up in your household or YouTube streaming's up and, and what specific uh, content uh, you are consuming. And, and uh, especially as people uh, across the board seem to be working longer, uh, longer days, the, the lines between work and home are blurrier than ever. So super, super uh, interested in sort of how that has impacted the way in which you consume specifically professional content. So hit us up, let us know. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, Mickey, what has been on your mind this week? Well, I can um, tie this together too, because um, you know the the need potentially for professional type of content I think is great right now. We don't have face to face options; it's all virtual. 
some of us prefer that. I would say from the conversations I've had, uh, at least half, if not a majority, prefer the face-to-face uh, style of, of that type of professional development content in the form of conferences. <coughs> Excuse me. But, um, you know, we, I, I, I mentioned earlier some of our work in, in helping schools numbers. And, you know, I've got two uh, institutions I'm spending a lot of time with this week in particular, whose numbers are down year to date in the mid 30%. Wow. That is not good. It's not healthy. And, you know, in terms of what's on my mind, I always think about what, how do we get here? Uh, that's not going to necessarily help them this fall. We have to do other things for this fall. But, you know, I also want to put a system in place that helps catch and prevent us from ever being this far into a recruitment cycle and being this down. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're if we're this down now, you know, I don't want to say ideally because that's ne- never is that ideal. But if we're this far down at this point in time of the year, we better have been much further down two months ago and we're, we're steadily closing that gap, that gap and quickly closing that gap. Um, but often what I find for an institution that gets down here now, this year is a little different with, with COVID, but that doesn't mean that institutions being in a spot right now or somewhere around this time in the cycle is not unique. We work with institutions every year who get stuck and whether that's being down 15% or 30%, it has happened, and we continue to see it happen. And generally what I find is a, is a couple of things. If we don't know until we get to May or June or July that our numbers are going to look like this, it could be, not usually, but it could be someone hiding it because they don't want to have to tell everybody what's happening. Um, but often what I see is it happens because there there is one or more staff vacancies. Hmm. And, and I'll take this deeper because what I find is The closer the vacancy is to direct contact with students, the faster we typically see a hole because the person that oversees that vacant role is more in touch and more deep inside the numbers. So if a counselor vacancy is there and it's one that should bring in, I don't know, let's just say 180 students a year, and that's off 10%, A, it's not a huge hole um, overall, but the director will typically see that or assistant director will typically see that, note that and start working on that and address it faster. Whereas if a director's vacant um, position is vacant and the counselors aren't performing quite up to speed where they need to be, you won't, the VP or Dean may not see that till later because they don't look at leads. They don't necessarily look at the marketing side in terms of web traffic. They look more at applications and deposits and if things are off and you're not looking to that, you won't know until later in the cycle. And sometimes in that scenario, it's very hard to overcome that. Sure. Uh, so it's just something I look at. And when I'm trying to diagnose how did we get to where we are, because that's important to think about how we address it. Uh, if it's because we've had a mid-level or senior level position that's vacant and no one's had a pulse on it, that could mean that there's some um, – lack of or underperforming staff members and, and how we address that versus vacant positions is very different. Hmm. Uh, but it, it, it happens, but that's kind of what I see. And it helps us figure out what is the right plan that will help us get back to where we need to be or as close to where we need to be as possible. 
That's super interesting. And one of the things that uh, stands out is is sort of this idea that like you can't blame COVID for everything, right? Meaning like for, I think the temptation might be for many institutions right now who haven't reached their enrollment marketing goals, their their um, their enrollment goals for this fall, the temptation could be to just chalk everything up to COVID. And obviously that has had a catastrophic, in, in some cases, impact on, on numbers. But at the same time, right, what this also has revealed is based off of what you're sharing, uh, Mickey, is, oh, there have been there have been uh, holes in the boat for for some time now. Right. Like, let's identify and, and be honest with with ourselves about where are the holes? Did these holes, you know, ha- were these holes exacerbated exacerbated by by covid? Were they there before? Do they is there no correlation between them and covid? So um, I think it would just be a, a helpful reminder for for all of us in, in enrollment management to, to think critically about whether or not, you know, COVID really is to blame for everything with respect to to our numbers this fall, or whether or not there were some other issues um, that that, you know, have had been there pre covid that are worth addressing. And sometimes I'll say it's not what I'm seeing this year with COVID specifically. It's not necessarily that there were holes. It's just that the process that you use for your recruitment cycle was antiquated Hmm. um, or to use a different term, very old school method of recruiting students. And you and or your team may not have been as prepared as needed to shift what needed to be shifted in order to get everything back up. If that makes if that makes sense, right? So, so if it was off and all you did was try to work harder, not differently, then you may have suffered more than others, I like and that. you're probably going to be more stressed and frustrated because of it. Uh, and so, what we have to do now with these clients that are mid thirties is like everything's on the table. If you don't think it's not on the table, then you're not panicked enough, and I need you out of the room hmm. so that we can get to dramatic. Uh, ideas, things that are radically different. Let's come up with 30. Let's get rid of the worst 20 and use those 10, prioritize them and start with the top three and get them moving. Hmm. They can't be plans that take six weeks to develop and launch because I don't have six weeks. You don't have six weeks. We need plans that we can launch this week and next week. And if it can't be done that quickly, it's got to be deprioritized and move back. Or you find a way, if it's that important to you, to get it launched quickly so yeah. that we can take advantage because we have to, you know, if if I'm, let's say a two-year institution, because two-year institutions generate a lot more than enrollment at the end, middle towards the end of the summer for sure. each fall, right? Because students enroll there typically, not always, but typically enroll a little later. So at this point, I may know I need to average, I don't know, 80 students a week. And if I get 60 this week, I don't need 80 next week. I need 100. And if I work my butt off to get 60, what the heck am I going to do next week to get 100? Yeah, yeah. We like we have to keep that in mind. Like you worked, look at all you did, and you still fell 20 short of what you needed this week. Doing this next week, what makes you think all of a sudden you're going to get 100? Yeah. Like it's not, you know, we, we have to get our heads around that. And then we have to think, okay, what we did this week was not radical enough. It did not was not effective enough. It did not engage, entice, attract, whatever word you want to use. It did not get us the students we needed. And we have to work and do something differently next week. And that, you know, that's sometimes a very difficult thing to do and get around. 
Um, but that, you know, that type of thinking is how you respond more quickly to get those action steps, those strategies, those tactics modified and deployed quickly. And, you know, I've over a period of eight to 10 weeks have seen those mid 30% drops are being off 30%, 35% on a year to date number, you know, seen closing those gaps, you know, 90% of the way, uh, even be up a little bit. Um, if, if you get everybody on board and you're all rowing in the same direction, or maybe most people are rowing the same direction and the others have buckets inside the boat and they're <laughs> dumping water out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and this reminds me of a conversation we had a few weeks ago where you, you shared how it's silly for us to think that we're going to be able to generate something like an increase in 10%, uh, in enrollment without dramatic change. Right. And you talk a lot about how like people getting around the table, they think about, okay, Hey, we need to increase numbers in, in this way. We need to increase numbers by 10% here or 15% there. And then their strategies for how to achieve that increase, um, are incredibly lackluster, right? They're, they're, they're marginally different. Um, they're not significantly different. And I think that this is another case in point of why what, what you're saying is so true is when you're in a dire situation like these these couple of institutions are in, right, it's incredibly important that we not just think about more of the same, right? And it's not just about increasing the the, the number of, of emails that you're sending or increasing, right, the rate at which you're calling people. Um, what it's really about is completely rethinking sort of like in a sprint context what can we do everything is on the table how the hell are we going to move the needle in six weeks or eight weeks or, or whatever it is and so I think like what is incredibly important for, for our listeners to remember is if you're in this situation right it same old same old just doesn't work you really 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 have to open up, open up your minds, open up your, your team's minds, open up your strategies to new things, maybe things that you've never tried before, simply because, you know, it's, it's essentially a Hail Mary at this point. So um, hopefully folks who are listening to this, who might be in a similar situation, are, are willing to think big, um, and are have the right resources at their disposal in order to help them think big. Yep. And, and, and I'll say it's not always thinking big it can be thinking small but thinking deep so so thinking one of the common yeah, things yeah. schools like to do yeah so but one of the things so i see schools like to do um and, and it can be done by the way in a short period of time when we're crunched but you know faculty want to help awesome faculty want to help even make phone calls even better but faculty don't always have the answers and resources to really help the students who are struggling with more of a, a tactical question if they when they catch them on the phone, which, by the way, faculty get frustrated when they make calls and no one answers. And we need to set the expectation and say, look, I know you can't call 100 people and I give you a list of 100 names, but you need to understand if you call 10, you'll be lucky to talk to one. So that's why I'm giving you 100 because yeah. that's 10 people you'll be talking to. And you told me you only had room to talk to 10 people. So that's why I gave you a list of 100. So giving that context, by the way, changes the faculty member's mindset. When they get a list of 100 and they ask for 10, they're going to be mad and angry. You don't want them to start making phone calls when they're mad and angry. So I want to give them context and say, I gave you a list of 100 names. You probably only talked to one out of 10. That way, you wanted 10 conversations. That's why I gave you 100 names. When you get to 10, feel free to stop. Hmm. Um, just don't want you to feel overwhelmed when you see this list. Give them that context. B, assign them an admissions liaison that's going to be live and available. So if they catch a student who has a question because they got stuck on the application, hey, you know what? 
I uh, have a chat here with Amber, who's your admissions counselor. I'm going to chat her and let her know she will text you the link to help. Because a faculty member doesn't have the link to admissions and application help. They don't have that the resources. We don't have time, at least at this point in time of the year, to train them where to find it. Yeah. So let's have some live and available to help with those. Taking those additional steps are what help get students more quickly over the hump. Because otherwise, well, you know what? We'll follow up with you, and we'll get that to you. You finish your calls. It's the end of the day. You email Amber. She doesn't get it till the next morning, and she also has – 15 other emails from folks that she has to respond to, and it might be noon before she gets all of those action items done, and we just lost additional time. Yeah. So having her available gets it done quickly. Let's get it resolved. Let's log that, by the way, in the CRM. Faculty members don't usually have that um, access to the CRM. Sometimes they do. Great. If not, let's be sure Amber is logging that information so we know we have and, and we have the communication in there. And then we can follow up with it if the student still hasn't taken that next step. Wow. Yeah. No, I love that. And, uh, you know, it, I think hopefully if, uh, sounds like, it sounds like you, you know how to have these conversations with folks, um, which is, you know, why you're such a, such a successful, uh, consultant. So maybe some of our, uh, our streamer, our listeners here will need to, um, will need to, uh, solicit your services. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know if you're, uh, you're welcoming any, any, uh, new business at this particular point in time. Sounds like you have your hands full, but, uh, but no, I love that, Mickey, and that is a fantastic framework for folks as they are evaluating kind of where they're at at this point in history, um, at this point in the in the year. And so, you know, and I think it's worth just being empathetic to folks saying like, look, like understanding that everyone in their own way is experiencing some sort of crisis, right? Now, the levels of crisis might be different, right? But the reality is everyone's uh, everyone's life has been disrupted. Everyone's institute, everyone's recruitment uh, uh, game plans have been disrupted in some way, shape, or form. And so it is, I think, just worth noting that like you you're not asked. You can't be Superman or, or Superwoman. But what you can do is you can think really, really intentionally, really, really deeply about okay, what is the best possible impact I can make given the resources I have over the next six weeks or so in order to at least have the best fighting chance of moving the needle? Well, you know, Zach, we named this podcast Fanatical Fridays. Two reasons. One, we drop it on Friday. Uh, And B, the fanatical piece is the extent to which we are willing to commit to our daily work that gets us over the hump. And not taking it to that level is the difference of being down 35% right now year to date, closing fall term being down 10% or being down 35% closing the fall being flat or having a little growth. Like that's the difference. Yeah. So if that matters to you, then think about those extra three steps other than saying, let's just have faculty call. Yep. And when you have questions from students, just email us and we'll take care of it and we'll get to it as fast as we can versus having someone live available and knocking it out right then. That's the difference. And it's those extra steps that have the biggest impact. And also start imagine closing the gap significantly on a week by week basis. So if you have a you need 80 and you got 90 this week, that starts to get a much bigger sense of optimism much faster. And the pace and the willingness of people to chip in is greater because they see the results from it. If your goal was 80 and you only got 60, whew, yeah. Oh, I got to do this again. Yeah. It changes yeah. your whole mindset. I love that. I think that the, we've uh, we've nailed this um, this point home, and and hopefully folks 
uh, have have garnered some sort of inspiration at the very least from it um, and can make it their own in their context. Uh, can I shift a little bit and talk to you about something that I've been thinking about recently? Sure. So I had a really interesting conversation with somebody last week. I think it was last Wednesday. And he was from a, a graduate program. Uh, it's pretty renowned. And uh, he was talking about how one of his big challenges is that there's a program down the street from his that um, is is looks the same, right? Uh, face value. It's actually really different, right? His program, once you get people into talking with faculty and whatnot, they realize, okay, wow, you know, this is, again, to use a Mickeyism, um, you know, this is a Cadillac program, not the, not the Kia program. Um, but at face value, at least, right? Like it's, it's hard to tell the difference. His program, um, costs double what the program down the street costs. Um, and again, it's a, it's a well-known brand, right? Um, but the reality of the situation is that his big challenge right now is just getting people, getting qualified inquiries. So at the point at which somebody is coming to the door, they're requesting more information. The minute that uh, price comes up, they they immediately uh, they immediately fade and it, so he he was calling me and asking me oh, Zach you know like what do you, what do you think is sort of the rub here like what's the problem so what I did is I went and I inquired on their form and I you know did a, a very very kind of uh, mini kind of uh, um, uh, secret shopper experiment got enrolled in their Comflows, started looking at their social media presence and uh, again to use a Mickeyism I went back to him and I said. You know, we'll call him John. John, the reality is you're marketing your program, your expensive program, as as if it's a Kia instead of a Cadillac. In other words, the program is being marketed very in a way it should be marketed more as as a sort of luxury brand, right? The reality is it's it's being marketed as a brand that's really, really hard to differentiate than the brand down the street. And so anyways, this sort of got me thinking about like one of the challenges that I see and, and one of the big sort of barrier, the, the friction points that a lot of graduate programs in particular um, share with us is like our, our program is just really expensive, right? Like it's just it's just really expensive. It's worth it. It's, it's a quality program, yada, yada. Um, but that's the biggest, you know, barrier to entry. And I think like, Again, I'm a I'm a brand marketer, right? That that's my my gig. That's what I stay up uh, late at night thinking about and wrestling with. And the reality is, I, I have started since this conversation just last week. I've gone to five different schools who have uh, uh, similar programs uh, in in or excuse me, who have uh, uh, really competitive programs that are also really expensive within these you know five kind of. Uh, big brand schools um, who are who have some of the same challenges. And the reality is these programs should be being marketed like luxury brands and they're not being marketed as such, right? It's it, in their communications. Their communications are incredibly lackluster. They're really vanilla. It's really hard to tell the difference, again, from a prospective student I should be able, from the minute I touch your brand, your, the minute I touch your program's uh, uh, content in any capacity, I should be able to see a difference. Because again, right, your program's twice as expensive as the program down the street. So anyways, I'll shut up now. But the point is, I would love your thoughts, Mickey, on like, I don't know if any of this is resonating, but I feel like there's a huge, it, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that 
the price is the problem in this context. Like, I think the problem is the marketing of the program. The marketing of the product is such that you're marketing it like it's a knockoff brand, not like it's, you know, Coca-Cola. I, well, you know the marketing side better than I do. I'm going to agree with you. Um, if you go to the website, uh, if I've got a particular school I'm looking to compare myself against, I go to the website and it looks similar. If I get a same feel, um, if it's not a sleek, luxury-feeling website, then I'm going to – that's your first impression for most folks, right? And, and I think that that's going to stand out. Um, you know, I, I, I used to work at a small private liberal arts institution uh, before I started consulting. Uh, I, I live in southeastern Pennsylvania. I live outside of Philadelphia, but not in Philadelphia. And my CFO at the time did uh, live inside of Philadelphia. And, you know, he saw our institution as the Cadillac. And that, and I, that resonates because you used that analogy. And, and that's how he would say is, you know, this is the Cadillac. So we can be more expensive than our competitors. And, and I guess my comeback to him was at the time was, yeah, we may be a Cadillac. But the people in Philadelphia don't see us as a Cadillac. They see us as the Kia. Yeah, yeah. So what do we do to change that image or accept you know, two options? You need to change your image and ensure that people see you as the Cadillac or you work on that price so that you can be the Kia that they already see. You. Now, in that instance, we actually chose the latter because out of our comparison set of 15 schools, we were second most uh, expensive. And – what, the way we addressed that, it was not a short-term fix. It was over several years. But when we were done, we were eight out of 15 in terms of cost. And what we did was just froze tuition for four straight years, which, by the way, is a fairly unheard of thing. We, ra we raised it like 3% after we froze it for four years, raised it 3%, and then locked it another year, uh, and then raised it uh, like another 3%. So we, we, we worked on you know getting that tuition where it needed to be. Uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, as you look at the students who do choose you, I like to know why they're choosing you hmm. uh, and find out, you know, what are your students' top three reasons for picking you? And knowing that that's what resonates, you know what doesn't resonate. How do you use the things that do resonate and highlight those more significantly? The next step I would say is a lot of times when cost is an issue, one of the issues I see beyond marketing that gets deeper into the process is because you're so much more expensive than that other institution, you're afraid to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to address it. It's the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. Or when you do, you're like, uh, well, ah, mm. we have good you, financial no, aid packages. You have yeah. to own it. Yeah. Yes. You have to own it, not avoid it. Uh, and talk about, yes, we are. And let me go back to these things. You know, these other things we were just talking about, if it's because we place better, our, our graduates earn more, whatever it is that you that help you achieve being worth that amount of money, you better go back to that. And you can't run from it because then you you don't realize it, but you're turning them away right away because the student picks up that you're worried about price and that you think it's too much. Yeah, that's how the student's going to be interpreting that. And it tells them, you know what? I don't need that. I just want this degree for this promotion. So I'm going to go get that other uh, program because I can do it for half the cost. Yeah. I'm all, yeah, I'm all, you know, and it's, so it's, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, it goes to you've got to address it in marketing, and that has to carry over. Yeah. And you have to train staff so that they know the value, understand, respect, and believe in the value of what you're charging for. Because if they don't, it will come across in their languaging. I love that. And what I think is also like what, what would be really cool is like to see a campaign, even like the first email in in a Comflow and be something like 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 the headline is, uh, yes, we're the most expensive. And here's why or something like that, like coming as you're saying, like coming out in front and basically acknowledging it and saying, hey, yeah, like this yep. is this is why we're this expensive. Right. And so I, I guess what yep. what was just so notable to me with this conversation I was having with this gentleman and then in in subsequent uh, observations really is like, yeah, as you're saying, Mickey, like it's it's hidden. Like people don't want you to know how much it actually, like what is the real cost of this program? And it's like, if we're so uh, ashamed of that, so to speak, like as you're saying, okay, let's recalibrate. Do we need to be this expensive? If we do need to be this expensive, if we believe that our, our price point is the right price point for the value that we're delivering, then let's market ourselves like we are that luxury brand. Otherwise, right, let's reduce our costs. Like let, let's reduce our price tag and let's figure out a way to to do that. And so I, I uh, <laughs> the ultimate point that I'm making is that I, that what, which I think is aligned with what you were just sharing is that too often folks kind of hide the, the price like they're 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 nervous about uh, exposing what it's really going to cost to a prospect and and again I think that this is like this is aligned with sort of like old consumer behavior where it was like you as a as a salesperson waited and waited and waited to really tell the prospective customer right what the product actually cost until they were like already sold on it right. Now, like in consumer behavior, this is totally flipped. It's like you're seeing websites. Like if you think about any SaaS company or uh, prices are, are front and center, right? For, for most of them anyways, right? And the, the, what, the whole model has been inverted such that people are saying, yes, like this is what it costs. Like no strings attached, no hidden fees. Like it's $9.99 a month, take it or leave it sort of thing. And I, I wonder what it would take for... Uh, especially kind of, you know, graduate programs in, in this example, to think a little bit differently about why they cost what they cost. And if, again, it is correlated, if that cost is correlated to value and people are behind that, then shout it from the rooftops. Yeah, so... I know I, it's not I, as I simple agree. as that. There but. are... <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, no. So, well, you know, I so from a, from a technical standpoint, you know, if, if I go back to what I was talking about earlier in terms of the cost and how we address cost, you know, there are other steps in there. So it's not just that. That's a long-term issue. Uh, we were talking about cost at a period of time where our growth was stagnant. We, you know, we we were at a very pivotal moment in our particular program. Now, let me just share that this was an undergraduate program um, targeting adult students, and um, you know, we we had. We, we had some major considerations. We can't just reduce tuition. That wasn't going to cut it. The institution needed revenue. Um, we needed the revenue. So we had to come up with other ways. But, but if we look at how do we address value, some of the things we did, and it's still some things that I work with schools on today. I, I, again, I, I needed to know from our students why they chose us, yeah. you know, what was important to them, and then ensure that what was important we can follow through on. So we knew in this, and again, this is not going to be unique. This is going to be similar to a lot of programs in this scenario, but the three things that mattered most, 
How much is this going to cost me? How uh, easy is this for me to complete in terms of my convenience and ability? And how flexible is this program going to be? Or, or, or that's not flexibility is more in terms of the time. Can I get this done in a certain period of time? And our view was, I cannot beat price for 14 or 13 out of the other 15 schools because we were 14 and they were 15. So I can't beat price for 13 of those institutions. In order for a student to choose me, if they're looking at those three factors, I have to win on the other two. Yeah, yeah. Right? If I can win the other two, my likelihood for enrollment dramatically increased. And we had to ensure because, again, it took us four years to drop down. Um, I had, but I couldn't wait four years to let enrollment stag and drop. So we had to ensure in a more rapid rate that we could win on the other two factors, which we did for most of them. And it had a big impact on us. Um, again, you can't avoid cost. The other thing I would say is what are the goals of your students? Because if the students come in with specific goals and you can start to classify them, and then you know that the students are reaching those goals upon graduation, then I would say, here are the things that matter to our students. And if any of these resonate to you, as you're thinking about where you uh, are going to enroll, ask those other institutions these questions to see what their answers are, because that's where you start to find flags on why it might be cheap or why it might be less expensive. And I don't have to call it any institution by name. I'm not throwing them under the bus. I'm just saying what's important. Our students wanted to ensure that they can complete the program. Our retention rate is 92%. Can they say that the retention – what is the retention rate? Ask them. If it's not on their website, it should be. Ask them why. How Forty percent of our students do this because they want to change careers. Of those students that do, 90 percent are successful in doing it within three months of graduation. Hmm. Yeah. If that's what you want, does that other program – do they know? Do they care about that? We care about it. We put a lot of time and effort energy in preparing you to be able to do that. Now we're starting to talk about why. We're charging more. That's the value we add in that the others aren't even thinking about. And I think what's at the heart of all of this is sort of really, really, really knowing your unique value proposition, right? Like, what is it that actually makes you unique? And if the answer is nothing, uh, I don't know, you you might be in, you might be in some trouble, right? It, it, it's it's probably time for you to figure out something, right? That is that is unique about your program. And, you know, I believe that. Just about every program does have a unique value prop. It's just a matter of figuring out, as you're saying, Mickey, how to first and foremost discover that, right? And what your faculty think the unique value proposition is might be different than what your students think the unique value proposition is, which might be different than what admissions and, and the higher education leadership think. And I think like the re it, you have if to – go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, if you don't know your value proposition, you know, five, ten years ago, if you're – competition didn't know it it wasn't a big deal you could get by with it yeah the problem today is we're so much more online and it doesn't matter if your local competition hasn't figured out somebody else has that is online and they can get to those students and demonstrate that they know what the value proposition is and you can't yep. if you don't know it you need to know it and you need to figure it out and if you can't figure it out that then you bring a third party in that can help you figure it out um, you do something because you have to know that because that's going to, especially if you're in the scenario of this particular situation you're talking about where someone's double the price or, or even 20% more, you need to be able to have definitive reasons to show that value. And if you don't know them, 
it's on you as a program leader, as a director of an admissions team or a director of marketing to know it and have that answer. And if you don't have it, at some point, that's on you. If you're new, if you've been trying and pushing and pulling and trying to get help from everywhere and no one's willing to help you the institution, yep, that, that I understand it. That's a valid reason not to for now. But at some point, you need to dig in deep and find that answer or it's on you. Yeah, and I, you know the the schools that uh, that I'm talking with right now and talking about are are sort of the schools that they're they're not your your top ten, but they're your they're your uh they're your upper middle schools, right? So they've been able to ride on brand on brand name alone for a period of time, and as such, right, they've been able to increase costs and whatnot. They they haven't dramatically struggled, but they're now hitting this inflection point where it's like everyone still knows who they are. Right? They don't they don't have a branding problem per se. Their challenge is in, whoa, we actually have to try and convince new populations that we're worth what we are charging. And and that's really like what what's happening is that they're wrestling with the fact that they've never really had to be worried about marketing or they've never really had to be worried about the bottom line because people knew who they were. Um, and now just people knowing who you are isn't enough, um, especially as, you know, if you want to compete with with the big dogs or, or, or even just even even some of the big dogs are really struggling with, whoa, OK, maybe it's time to actually think about marketing for once. Um, maybe we actually do need to figure out how to better integrate marketing with enrollment management. So anyways, we there's there's a lot, a lot here for sure. Um Mickey, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Otherwise, I think I think we're good. I think we're at a good pausing point. Uh, we can jump into more next week. Uh, I think we've definitely given folks a lot to think about and consider um, and reflect on for the next week. Fantastic. As as per usual, we've we've thrown a lot out there. It's been a little bit all over the place, but hopefully, folks have had. Uh, at least a couple of nuggets that they can they can walk away with and think about to immediately um, a change sort of how they're going to work and what they're going to prioritize over the next week. Mickey, thank you as always for your time. Thank you everyone for for being here, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Zach. See you everyone.